Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flor, and in this show, I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their story and the specific tactics they use to build a successful career around their skills and the work they love doing. In this podcast, I have interviewed dozens of accomplished artists and creatives to basically answer one valuable question. How did they get there where they are? Now, while we prepare for all the greatness that is coming on season three, I'm releasing this special recap episode, which features some of the best moments of season two in one place. So you can always dig deeper and go listen to one of these episodes. For the full list of guests featured today, see the episode description right below where you press play in your podcast app. Or as usual, you can head to martinaflor.com slash podcast and find all the details there. Please enjoy. Episode 35, Alex Trachut, overcoming family trauma with creativity, letting yourself be surprised, improve your skills through play, changing the game. Yeah, I was working with, with Termix and I remember the, the meetings were very fun because like we had to explain everything um, to each other. And it was not like, hey, can I draw a sketch or something and then I'll show you. No, no, you need to exactly explain what is it going to be? And so it really required like such conceptual flexing that I, I was like going nuts because I, it's not my thing. I'm like really bad about rationalizing just with ideas. I'm more like a crafter, not a thinker. And, but it was very good for me because I spent two years kind of like working on that sort of like school of design. We could mm-hmm. say maybe a bit more Swiss, mm-hmm. like uh, communication was really coming from, from the concept and um, not so much seducing with the uh, with the eye right mm. um so um i did two years there and then i went to vasava where i spent another two years and vasava was a completely different school of uh, approach to to the visual communication which was way more expressive and uh, i had the best time in vasava i i had very good memories um and which way were they in which way were they different or how how did you feel they they made a mark in your way of approaching design so i think they have they're a big studio like well big in terms of like maybe number i don't know these days but uh when i was working there it was maybe 15 people and everybody was taking care of their own projects and uh, they were supervised by the creative director, of course. Uh, but, but yeah, everybody could like kind of like channel their own styles and they were really welcoming everybody to bring um, their own ways into the mm-hmm. table. So the, um, the styles of Vasava are really kind of like a mashup of all the members at a time. So um, in that sense, I think like it gave voice to many people in order to how you could create something with your own visual language uh, for their clients, right? Um, so yeah, in that sense, I think it was like a very nice um, way to see how you could manage um, building your own um, content if you were, you had the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So um, after that, I started to freelance after two years and uh, building my own clientele um, 
uh, internationally. I was uh, doing my my website in in English, which at the time was like, "Whoa, you're making your website in English? It's so weird, right? Because like you're in Barcelona, and nobody speaks English." But yeah, it worked, and like you were getting projects from abroad, and and little by little, like working by email. I remember I didn't want to do meetings because I was so young and shy and scared. I was like, no, no, just everything by email. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very fun. Like uh, the the first years were like super exciting because you're kind of like figuring it out your your style. But um, you you get to do, of course, like you get these opportunities, but you want to show in every project your best, right? Mm-hmm. And like, um, you maybe make a lot of mistakes, but they're they're full of uh, energy and like uh, passion. Yeah. I want to go deeper there. Like you were working for Vasava for how many years? Uh, two years. Two years, okay. And you decided because this container or this design studio allowed you to kind of use or have your own input on the on the projects and kind of start exploring your own style you decided to then later go freelance i want to ask you like why did you decided to go freelance because this seems like you know the vasava as a design studio work a, a workplace seems like a dream job and i wonder what you know why would you want to go freelance at that time and also mm-hmm. Like a follow-up question to that would be, how were your steps, or what are the things that you think made a difference in you getting clients internationally? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, the first question, I think it's at some point there's something always growing on you in terms of like what are your own dreams and your own sort of like ideas mm. that. At the beginning, when you get to a job like there, it, it's true. It was like a dream job. But after two years, I think like you want to start making your own um, planning on where you want to put time. Because like, mm. I, maybe I was not quantifying um, so much for me. It was like, it doesn't matter if I work on a project that is making a lot of money for the company or a project that is not making a lot of money for uh, money for the company. I just want to do things that I enjoy. So mm. because at the end of the day, for me, you know, we're just getting a salary over there. And um, and then, you know, I really wanted to put more time into the things I was enjoying. And so I think that drives a lot my decision to, to decide to uh, make my own and really put as much time as I wanted into the things that didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how were like the first months as a freelance? Like you just stopped working for that studio and you set up a desk at your place and you just started creating your yeah. website. How, how were the, those first months and how were the steps to get those first clients? Right. So, yeah, um, I was... Um, at the time, I was living with Marta Sarda. I, I oh. think you inter- interviewed yes, her in yes. the podcast too, right? Um, so, yeah, we were living together and um, and I set up in, in our apartment. And, yeah, for like eight months, I was just uh, working from there. And then, um, yeah, basically, first step, building the website and uh, putting uh, the work that I was able to do Um and then waiting. Uh, it takes a, a little bit of time. In the beginnings, I'm not going to say they're they're easy at all. Like they're always tough. 
but it's very important that um, I was able to show what I was capable of doing. Mm. And um, and then after that that happened, you know, projects were coming in, and then you know you are you are able to um, yeah, kind of like after one year, like you you feel like the the wheel has turned like a whole sort of like cycle and you are in a rhythm where like things are just starting to happen in a more regular basis. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, the beginnings are where we're kind of like any opportunity, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like I was uh, doing any job, uh, making it, trying to make it as exciting as, as I could. And like, try to think about the portfolio as like this sort of like, sacred gallery where like every work that you're doing needs to be a piece of um, a portfolio piece no you're not there was no room for just like whatever job like sometimes you know now that you spend more times in the field you don't put in the portfolio every job that you do at least i i don't there are some people that can do that i'm i don't i think like i I kind of like separate a little bit the projects that I feel like, okay, this, I will put it in the website because I think it shows something that others uh, have not done, but there's some other jobs that are just like um, repeating a little bit what you already done. So there's not a lot of, uh, makes a lot of sense to put it back in, in the website. Right. Um, so yeah, at the beginning, I remember like every job that I was doing was like, oh, this is a new way of doing things. And like, I was very excited about like experimenting and, and getting those opportunities. Yeah. Episode 42 with Lisa Condam. Finding your spark, starting a career in your 30s, finding mentors, how to overcome burnout, working on your genius zone and three keys to succeed as an artist. To commercial art. And I worked really hard at building my portfolio and I was looking at other people's work and trying to understand the kind of work that I wanted to make myself. I was essentially working on finding my artistic voice and honing my skill. And um, and so that's sort of how it started for me. And I want to ask you, like, in that moment where you were looking to engage a uh, an agent and you were working on your portfolio, were you already trying to reach out to clients and kind of making connections to get um, client assignments or, and, and if so, yeah. how, how were you doing that? Yeah, well, I, I didn't really know how. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I think that my, my motto from the very beginning was like, which comes from an American movie called um, Field of Dreams, but it was like, if you build it, they will come. And mm. I just kept thinking, like, if I make enough work and keep putting it out into the world in these channels that I have, and again, at the time, that was like Flickr, my blog, and um, my website mm. portfolio, like, if I just keep making new work and keep putting it out there, eventually, people who are interested in it will see it and start hiring me. And so I wasn't doing so much like mailing, uh, you know, my pieces of my portfolio to art directors. I wasn't necessarily reaching out to people, but I had a, three lucky breaks. So the first one was the um, poetry, the American Poetry Foundation hired somehow the woman who was art directing like the artwork that was going to go with the winning poem from that year, hmm. um, like found me on Flickr and like asked me to illustrate a poem. I think I made probably $300 like 
<laughs> you know, it was not a high paying thing. Um, but that was kind of a big deal for me. And then um, Poketo, who's now a pretty big brand, um, at the time they were commissioning artists to um, submit artwork or have, you know, artwork go on things like um, wallets and um, other like accessories and things like that and they found me on Flickr Mm. and I did a line with them which actually then there was another line that ended up in Target like very early on in my career and then the third thing that happened was and this is the biggest deal for me I had a show at a shop in San Francisco San Francisco called the candy store which was a clothing and accessories shop but they had walls dedicated to artwork and I became friends with the woman who owned that place she offered me a solo show there um somebody wrote about it on a a site called daily candy which was Hmm. at the time um this kind of like thing that people would sign up for to hear about like all the cool art shows happening and events happening around town and um and so I got uh written up in daily candy somehow and um my show hordes of people came to my opening I sold every I sold out of everything this was paintings and collages and some Mm. shadow boxes that I had created and somebody from Chronicle Books showed up and um, loved some of my paintings and within a few months um, my artwork was on the cover of like a journal that Mm. they had published and my art ended up on the cover of the um, the catalog for Chronicle Books and that was actually what got me um, the to sign with Lilla Rogers was like, she was like, oh, you already have a little bit of work mm. and I like what I see in your portfolio already, but you obviously need support and help and mentoring to grow. And I think she also liked that I was older mm. and had business experience in something else completely different. Um, in my twenties, I worked for an, um, I was a teacher and then I worked in a nonprofit organization for many years. And so I had this certain amount of, you know, maturity that I wouldn't have had when I was 23. And at this point I was, um, in my mid, mid thirties and yeah. And so that was the start. Now you would think maybe like all of a sudden my inbox was like infiltrated and I was getting all kinds of work and making all kinds of money that took a lot longer. So you actually got your agent through this, you know, after this three leggy breaks that you mentioned, right? Um, So you were actually negotiating all of the fees for all of these projects yourself. So how did you come about like figuring this out and kind of (laughs) drafting those, those contracts and kind of negotiating the fees with the decision makers? I think, if to be honest with you, in the beginning, if anybody even offered me any money at all, I just said yes. Mm-mm. There was yeah. no negotiation. I think that came later when mm-hmm. I started to understand my worth. Yeah. And, um, and that was actually something that was such a great education for me when I did sign with Lola because, mm-hmm. you know, one advantage to having an agent is that they understand the kind of industry standard for what you should be paid for certain things. Mm-hmm. And... At the time, I was just so happy that anyone was interested in working with me. And I did have other form of employment at the time. And so this was something I was doing on the side. 
Um, I think earlier you asked, and I didn't address the question, like, did you know, when did I, like, did I just sort of leave my job? Mm. And I was working at a nonprofit organization, and when this all was started to happening, like signing with Lila, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to halftime at my job. And then around that time, I opened a shop in San Francisco with a friend of mine. So that was a way for me to go full-time freelance Mm. and leave my nonprofit job, but not have my income be solely dependent on illustration Mm -hmm. or fine art or Etsy sales, because by that point I had joined Etsy. And so it was great because I got to like make my own schedule and my friend and I, um, you know, I would say, well, you know, right now I have this amount of freelance work, which was never very much at the beginning. I can work these days at the shop. And then I would take a draw from what we made at the shop each week. And that really helped to supplement my income. I was, you know, living in San Francisco, which was super expensive. Yeah. And that was hard. And I was also single at the time. So mm. I was like trying to support myself. It was tough. This makes the the perfect segue to touch on something that I think is really characteristic from you that is that you have built your business um, based on a lot of different income streams and I know you speak um, you speak strongly about this in your book um, Art Inc because you believe that um, you know this is a great way for an artist to make a living of what they do to sort of you know, not putting, I think you say it like not putting all your eggs on one uh, nest. I don't know how, how exactly you... All your eggs in one basket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I'm personally also advocate for that approach. Uh, even when today I have sort of simplified my business um, in various ways. Um, so I want to ask you how it is and I know that you have started a lot of different projects. You have your online shop, your books, your online classes. Um, and I want to ask you if you try to keep all these projects running at this point of your career and how do you do it? How do you technically do that so that you keep attention on all these things and you keep them running? Well, there's the beginning of that, the middle of that and the, and, and, and the now. Um, yes, and those are three it. very different things. So in the beginning, when I first started diversifying my income and was had my hands in lots of pots, and I realized very early on that that was the way that I was going to be able to sustain my career. Because now I could make 100% of my living doing illustration mm. and brand partnerships and all of that. But in the beginning, I couldn't have, A, I wasn't making enough money, and B, I didn't, in the jobs that I did have, and B, I wasn't getting as many opportunities Mm. as I have now. Um, So I was like, okay, I need to teach workshops. I need to maybe get into publishing. I need, you know, so I, I, um, I understood very early, like, this is what I have to do in order to survive. And then eventually I can, you know, only do one thing if I choose to. Um, That never actually happened. I I like doing all the things too much. Um, So in the beginning, it was really hard. And I remember being really stressed out. Um, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't doing all of the things I do now to the level that I do them now. So like, yeah, I had an online shop, but I would maybe sell 10 things a week. Mm. Um, I mean, I sell sometimes 40 things a day now. So, Mm. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like doing it myself then was a lot easier. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I always want to mention is that by the time I was doing this, I was in my late 30s early 40s, I had, 
years of work experience and time management experience and project management experience mm. working for this nonprofit. So one advantage to all of the work experience I had outside of the art world was that I knew how to manage my time. I had learned how to stay organized and to kind of like compartmentalize each thing and devote time to it. And I'm, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm a pretty organized person and I get overwhelmed just like the next person, but I have always had a gift for like figuring out how to manage everything. Episode 50 with Sebastian Curi. Utilizing your experience to achieve your career goals, never starting from scratch, working with your spouse, maximizing your client's budget, and the challenges of relocating. So you were working as a creative director. I bet you were earning pretty a, a good salary as a creative director. Uh, so you decided to go freelance. And how were those first months? What were the things that you did in those first months to launch your freelance, freelance career? Business? And, kind of, and also like to gain or to, to get those first clients. Yeah. Perhaps you can, you can give us a, a, a bit of, of details around this. this oh, sure. Um, you know, I have this weird background where I can do like a lot of stuff. So I never had problems <laughs> to get a job again. Uh, it was yeah. actually amazing. I don't know, but it kind of like in the first maybe one or two months, I did like a year salary. Mm. So I was like, okay, this, this is amazing. I didn't know that, you know, it could yeah. happen. Uh, but, but how did that happen? Wait, that sounds really magical. It, like, it sounds magical. It, well, yeah. So how did that happen? Yeah, like you, 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 you just, you'd left <laughs> your day job and then at the next day you had, you had everything, like you had a website, you had yeah. like a, like a business running. How, well, how that's were, true. Like, or you started uh, building up while, while you were, you know, I'm forgetting, were, yeah. you employed, you were kind no, you of know building what happened? up. I get yeah. it. Yeah. So I had this thing. So, you know, you remember when I was uh, like a teenager studying, I would work and study. So at some mm. point that kind of became like the normal thing. So when I got to any of these studios, I will still be doing freelance stuff. And what I was doing, I, I always switch positions. You know, a, a 3D designer and a 2D animator, uh, they're very different. They don't do the same thing. They don't manage to use the same software. They are in a very different position um, throughout the design process. You know, some of them are the, at the beginning, some of them are at the end. So what it will happen is that I will use my best skills at plenty, for example. You know, maybe I was really good in uh, 3D design, whatever. But then I will freelance as a 2D animator. And I was kind of mm. like, not that good, you know, but that will help me to create skills. So I, I did a lot of freelance work during the first three years of plenty. I will always have like <laughs> freelance projects, uh, graphic design school and plenty. And, and, and that kind of like, build a lot of skills. So when I went freelance, I actually had, um, how do you say, like uh, people would know me, you know? It would be like, hey, mm. yeah, for sure you can work. You know, you are a animation director uh, from a well-known, recognized studio. Uh, I will have like awards, you know, and stuff. So it wasn't hard actually to to get a job um, because people would like so you were, to- you were actually building like your, 
you were actually building your freelance business on the side and kind of like I, you, you know that wasn't the yeah that wasn't the goal but that was what happened you know like when i went yeah. out i was like yeah i know i know these studios you know like i, I know uh like you you know uh, or i will know uh, i don't know like argentina is a very small country buenos aires small industry in, in motion yeah. graphics at that point i think it will be you will have like maybe 20 really yeah. good graphic design studios that will do animation and it would be really hard if they wouldn't know me you know i will i will yeah. know them and they will know me and so i could send an email and say hey uh can we work in some projects that could go from 2d to 3d to design to anything so all the time they will have something uh and, and this, is, this is what you actually did like when you when you um when you leap to freelance um you actually emailed these people and you got these first projects that allow you to pay for a year of oh, salary, yeah, of salary, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was what I did. I I didn't do actually small projects. I started doing some direction, like a freelance mm -hmm. direction. You know, I will go to the studios, I will direct a project, uh, and then I will lead something. And then if if they have a problem, I will jump. You know, like hey, we don't, we can get like a really good designer, and I will mm -hmm. be like, yeah, okay, I can yeah. do that. You know, like, boop, boop. and then okay, we need like to do animation in After Effects. Great, but you know, or, or like, no, let's render this in C4D, sure, you know, like, or whatever, bitrate. We need to post product this stuff. So I was, I'm very handy, you know, with this mm. stuff, it's just because of, because I studied graphic design and post production, and then I work in like this 3D. I don't know, I'm, I'm just like a guy that kind of like, uh, here they say, like one, one man studio. you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So and I could do that in Buenos Aires, that, that comes, that works. And I wonder, because right now you have a very strong brand in the sense of like, you know, I, oh, thank I, you. When, when someone visits your website, they can immediately know that it's your work and they can already understand what, what you're all about. Like it's, you're all about illustration. And of course you, you state also on your website that you are, um, you have the skill in animation. So I really wonder when, when did you. When I switch? Because it seems that, yeah, it seems that you, in the very beginning, as you started freelancing, you kind of used all of the things you had done before, these production skills that you had, plus knowledge of the design um, discipline and field uh, and animation and yeah. everything. And you put that together into, you know, managing projects that you... Um, that you could manage, you knew how to, how to go about that. But now it seems that you have, you have niched down or ha you have built a business around something changed, very yeah. specific, which is really illustration. Um, so <laughs> I really wonder how, how did you manage to really niche down? And if some of that experience is still something that you know, it's, it's something you still, you're still working on right now, or you still manage projects that have to do with, with that side of your experience, or you have totally decided to go in the direction of, um, of animation and, and illustration. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have to say again, I'm very slow, you know? So mm -hmm. when I went, when I did all that, I'm not doing anything of that right now. Any, any, mm, okay. any production, any, I don't. I sometimes open Master FX to do some animation, um, and that's it, I think. But mm -hmm. just very little. Let, let's say like 5% of my my work is kind of like around that. Um, 
No, what happened was that at some point I got bored of that in Buenos Aires and I got an opportunity to work uh, for a production company in Los Angeles. And mm. we moved with my wife uh, to work um, in 2016 or 2017 uh, to work at Buck um, as mm -hmm. an animator, you know? And that kind of like, I don't know, felt great for me because he was traveling outside the country. I, I, it was like my first time going to the United States. Um, um, but uh, at that point, it was kind of like a dream job. You know, it's like a place for, for motion graphics is a huge deal. You know, for me, it was a dream job. Uh, they're kind of like, for sure. uh, if you like football, you know, like Barcelona. Or I don't know, like this <laughs> place where really talented people goes to, to work. And um, so I, 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 I left Buenos Aires, I stopped doing a uh, freelance project and I went to work at Park and I stayed there for two years. Um, and at some point, you know, during, during that uh, job, I felt disconnected from, from all the stuff that I was doing, you know? Uh, mm it kind of worked the same, you know, I started as a junior animator, like senior animator, and I ended up being like an animation director, mm. creative director. Um, mm. But, uh, but I, I felt, you know, very empty. I don't know, like, uh, I had like these expectations around how I will create work and the environment for me wasn't the ideal, you know, and, mm. and my coworkers were really talented, you know, like really talented, mm -hmm. but the projects weren't the right ones for them. So nobody was really pushing, pushing it, you know, like, so what I would do, it was in the morning or at late at night, uh, I started drawing. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm very handy with software. I, I use a lot of software. And for me, I think just using Photoshop and just drawing, you know, the pencil, it was like, it was crazy. And I was like, whoa, you know, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> so, and it helped me to connect, you know, it was, it was very playful mm. and I don't know, you know, I'm very passionate. I, I really need to like the stuff that I'm doing. So when mm. I went into drawing, it felt great because it was mm. new and I didn't, I didn't know I was very naive and, and I connected to something, you know, like excitement. I, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do some yeah. cool drawing or something. And it was pretty bad, you know, at the beginning. I was really, really bad. So I will do like shapes and I will put a face on it. And that will be kind of like my drawing. And then that will develop in like these bodies that I started doing with geometrical shapes, you know, um, and they are kind of like intertwined. Mm. And, and kind of like that morph into some kind of uh, thing. You know, I, I will wake up in the morning, do some drawing. I will finish that night. I will post it on Instagram or Tumblr. Mm -hmm. I will do it again, you know, and I will do that every, every week, every month. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe six months in, uh, people will say, Hey, so you are doing drawings now. Like, are you an illustrator? You know, that kind of stuff. Wow. I stopped, I've stopped posting animation work, you know, all my animation mm -hmm. and direction, all that stuff. Mm. Uh, I will do it at Buck. And then mm. all these drawings things, they will be for me, you know, like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to do something fun for me to be healthy and happy and that kind of stuff. Here are the bios of all the guests featured in this episode. You will find a full list of the episodes on the show notes so that you can go ahead and listen 
on your favorite podcast platform or watch them on martinaflor.com slash podcast. Alex is an award-winning Spanish artist, graphic designer, illustrator, and typographer, born in Barcelona and currently based in Brooklyn, New York. He's definitely a top artist and designer in the creative industries, mixing styles and genres and drawing equally from pop culture, street culture, fashion, and music, Alex has created design, illustration, and typography for a diverse range of clients like Nike, Adidas, The Rolling Stones, Cadbury, BBC, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many others. Alex has been honored for his work in design and typography by industry pioneers like the Type Directors Club, Communication Arts and Graphics, including being named an Art Directors Club Young Gun, honoring designers under 30. Today, I'll be having a conversation with Lisa Condom, an internationally known fine artist, illustrator, and writer based in Portland, Oregon, in the United States. She makes art for clients around the globe, and she is the author of 10 books, including Art Inc. and Find Your Artistic Voice. She's the host of the podcast, The Lisa Condon Sessions, and she teaches creative entrepreneurship at Pacific Northwest College of Art. Lisa has always been a role model to me. She's a person who I've always looked up to for her fearlessness, talent, and entrepreneurial spirit. Sebastian's bright and bold work is the result of his wide experience as an animator and graphic designer. He employs cartoonish figures and playful compositions to portray ordinary scenes of life under the lens of a bright color palette. Sometimes animated, his work bounces happily between funny little gifs, huge colorful hands on prints or big murals where you can lose yourself in. Seb has done work for big clients like Apple, Venmo, The New Yorker, Nike, Warby Parker, Uber and others. So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye. <laughs>